people. I wasn't allowed to do anything outside of school, you know, socially. And then of course at home, I was dutiful daughter. I knew what my role was. I just didn't enjoy it all the time because it didn't leave a lot of room for imagination, creativity, expressing myself. So I was miserable as a teenager and I couldn't understand why because technically I had everything that I needed to succeed. I had a loving family, but the way they loved me didn't feel like love. You know what I'm saying? Like people say, no, I'm doing this out of love. I'm telling you because I love you. I'm telling you because I care. It doesn't always feel like love, y'all. So we really need to have that conversation too. You are listening to Unapologetically Mommyhood, where we talk the real behind the scenes of mommyhood and business through the eyes and experiences of other moms in business. First, we are moms, yes, but we are also women, bosses, and humans. Here we support moms on being confident, authentic, and most of all, unapologetic to who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our identity isn't tied to just being a mom because we are so much more. Welcome to the mommyhood. This episode is sponsored by Thrive After Nine, a community and support system for moms who are coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs supporting each other in a positive, safe, judgment-free zone of other like-minded women getting things done to thrive in your home and business. To find out more, go to www.thriveafternine.com. So welcome to Unapologetically Mommyhood, where we talk mommyhood and business, unapologetically embracing who you are, not just as a mom, but as a human, because mommyhood is real. It's not all the giggles and cuddles that you see all over the internet. Sometimes ish hits the fan, and sometimes we mean literally. And we have our breakdown, Ugly Cries too. So again, welcome to the mommyhood. So today we are going to be talking about the five love languages and how you can incorporate it with your children, your spouse, significant other in your household to calm the chaos, bring down the overwhelm, and avoid burnout. And joining us today... We have a specialist in that area who's going to tell you about the five love languages. So I'm going to go ahead and bring her in right now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, Hi, <laughs> thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. good. So how are you? This is Rasafi, who is an EQ coach and specializes in emotional intelligence. So we're going to get a little bit into our emotional side and find out how we as moms, right? And as humans and as business owners can incorporate the five love languages so that we can make our lives a little less hectic and a little bit better. But before we do that, we're going to find out a little bit about Rasafi so that you know that she knows her stuff. So, hey, Rasati. <laughs> uh, hey. How are you today? I want to say that first, because, you know, we were talking about feelings. How are you feeling right now? I don't know. A little bag of mixed emotions, I guess. I'm a little bit nervous, but I shouldn't be because I know this stuff is just new format, new <laughs> yeah. way to do, you know. Yeah. So, in being nervous and... I don't even know why, because I know that you know your stuff. Like you know this stuff. Like we go back, back a little ways. Don't we? talk about it forever. <laughs> <Pretty much>. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about your background, where you're coming from, why emotional intelligence. Um. Okay. Where do I start? Uh, 
born and raised in well not raised born in singapore raised all over the world lived around in a lot of different countries a lot of different cultures so i kind of get my curiosity about humanity from there like why do people do things the way they do why they behave certain ways how come i have two brothers raised by the same parents and we all like completely different so that's where my obsession with psychology kind of came into play and i decided to take the emotional intelligence route because i feel like if you understood what your emotions were telling you you'd be able to make better informed decisions. You might be able to avoid some chaos or reduce some like, you know, tension anywhere. And I think that's a good skill set to have. So I'm trying to teach people. Yeah, that sounds amazing to me because before I was able to really be like self-aware before that, I I was yeah. all over the place and I wasn't caring about anybody's feelings. And, you know, <laughs> I was just going. Man, I was right there me. with you. Yeah. And, yeah. and just existing, right? And like, whatever. They're too sensitive. <laughs> they should get on board. Like, whatever. You know, until I became more self-aware. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I kind of understand now, you know. So let's talk about you right now in this moment. So who is Rasaki right now in this moment? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm a mom. I am a divorcee. I am a business owner. And because I'm a mom, there's so many other hats, right? I'm a chef. I'm a counselor. I'm a seamstress. I'm a nursemaid. I, I mean, bit of everything. Yeah, we, we got to do it all. There's, I mean, who else are they going to go to? And I don't want them to go anywhere else. So yeah, I got to do it all. <laughs> so a little, a little bit of everything. And who mm. is Rasathi right now as it pertains to building a business while being a mother, while moving through life as a human. What is, what is that Rasafi like? I think I am in my teenage years, kind of, or pre-teens, as far as the business is concerned. So in the beginning, you try to muddle through, you try to fit in, you try to be like everybody else. And then somewhere along the line, you kind of unlearn those things and realize that what fits other people doesn't really fit us. Mm -hmm. And we kind of find our own voice. Like, Maybe it is video. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's blogging. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's audio. I love audio. So uh, it took me a while. I think I'm in my teenage phase. It's been about seven years since I started the business. And obviously it's gone through so many changes. Mm -hmm. And that includes how I manage my time and home, how I manage um, being present for my kid while I run a business that is global, means all kinds of time zones. But I still need to like put my foot down and have boundaries so that my kid knows that I'm there for her first. And then of course the business is like supplementary to that. So it's been a it's been a wild roller coaster, but a lot of lessons along the way, a lot of difficult conversations, but I think that's necessary. I mean, as moms, I think everybody has those moments, right? You think you're failing, you're really not. We're all winging it. It's yeah, there's no right way to do anything, just what works and what doesn't. <laughs> no, 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 I, I believe you and I understand that because I think as, as moms and as women and as humans and how we operate as a nurturers naturally, you know, yeah. things constantly change because we're always trying to be the one putting it together, right? We're like, we have to make everything right. Um, so when we're talking about the love languages, I think this is going to be so beneficial, very beneficial um, when it me. comes... Yeah, when it comes to being able to really, I don't want to say jail, but kind of jail with the people that are the closest to you that you see every day on a daily basis. And, you know, you got the arguments, you got the, you do it that way. I don't do it that way. Those types yep. of things that are <laughs> happening in your home yeah. from the, the smallest up to the oldest, right? 
It doesn't matter. Everybody has their own way of feeling, their own way of doing things. And I feel like this is going to help when it comes to like actually just coming together and realizing, hey, like we need to figure each other out and then help each other in the way we need it. So um, let's talk about your journey to get here before we switch um, lanes. Let's talk about your journey to get here. So you said you lived all over the world, you traveled, you lived everywhere, and then your own um, interest peaks because of your family and everybody being so different, right? You're like, yep. we came from the same person. Why are we so different? So let's talk I about I mean, the I think it just was the same. Um, um, I guess the journey is all about self-awareness and kind of finding my own voice, who I am, what makes me me. And a lot of times you... I think I think I can generalize and say a lot of people would understand we find a way to fit in according to the rules that we're told and then eventually we realize that okay that's not going to work because mm. obviously I didn't make those rules somebody else made them for themselves and they kind of like pushed them onto me but you don't know until you try right so it's almost like uh when I get into situations where I get to counsel young people and they're looking at okay what am I going to do for a career I I tell them go try everything please go try everything so you know what you like and what you don't like because in theory things are supposed to work out in practice. It's a whole nother situation. So it really matters. And I feel like for me to get to this place where I wanted to teach people about emotional intelligence, I had to go through a lot of difficulty. I had to go through a lot of arguments where there was a constant battle between who is right and who is wrong, which that's not supposed to be what the conversation is. Mm -hmm. Both of you can be right. It's just different ways of doing things. How do I get that communicated across though? So it became more about how do I listen to your complaints and me being a lazy person? How do I not put in a lot of effort in one place if it's not going to be received well? You know what I'm saying? So if I know what actually matters, then I'm going to do the things that matter instead of the things that I think matter. So we assume a lot. And I think that's where the, the love languages were became a building block of my entire business. It's between the love languages and the six human needs. So with the love languages, if I know that you don't like being touched and I'm a touchy-feely person, I should probably understand that if I'm going to touch you, it needs to be touched that you're comfortable with, or I'm going to constantly piss you off. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want to waste that energy. So if I can have the conversation with you and you know enough about yourself where you can articulate that, I think that cuts out a lot of unnecessary drama, a lot of unnecessary tension, because I don't think people realize that there is one way that you like to show love and there's a completely other way that you like to receive love and the five love languages you need a little bit of all of them it's not just one or two out of the five it's all of them just in varying degrees depending on what you have with the people in front of you so maybe you have someone who's really touchy-feely but they're not really good with the compliments so that's going to pop up more in that conversation you know with that relationship you're going to want that more because the thing that comes easily you don't have a problem with you have enough of it so these are the kinds of things that kind of stood out to me as i was kind of studying people, watching how my own family interacts, realizing that people do things in reverse. Their complaints really point out what their love language is. If you just understand how to read between the lines and not get hurt by the words they're using. So we, we tend to take offense for easy and get like, you know, but hurt about some stuff. So this is the stuff that I wanted to clear up for people, like shortcut for people. Yeah. And so as, as you're talking about like your journey and, and how you got to the point of wanting to do emotional intelligence, um, how did you start? So when you first started, did you even have children when you first got into psychology? Um, how everybody interacts? No. Um, no? B- because I was a very introverted person as a kid, 
I just observed a lot. And then I realized there were like irregularities between what my parents were saying was appropriate versus what the kids around me were saying were appropriate or how their families work. So I listened a lot. I observed a lot. And that was from country to country. So, I mean, I grew up, I was born in the East with a very, you know, structured environment. This is the way things are. You're a woman. This is how you're supposed to behave and all that. And then you move to the West, like London, Australia, the United States. They have very different ideas about what's okay and what's not okay. How do you treat children? How do you treat women? Do we have a voice as kids? Or like all that stuff is different from just listen and obey in the East. So there was a lot of butting heads and a lot of, oh, no, no, but that's not what my friend's saying. Like, why are you listening to your friends? So that started then itself. And then as I got to, um, you know, high school, I was realizing that I didn't enjoy life all that much. I felt like I was very... Um, restricted and very silenced all the time. And as much as I was good at being the wallflower, I didn't want to be the wallflower anymore. I wanted to be noticed, but I was very worried about, you know, how I would be noticed, what I'd be noticed for. So trying to find my voice kind of started there, but I was miserable because I felt like I fit in at school as far as academics were concerned. I was teachers, but, um, but I didn't have any friends. I didn't get along with many people. I wasn't allowed to do anything outside of school, you know, socially. And then of course at home, I was dutiful daughter. I knew what my role was. I just didn't enjoy it all the time because I didn't leave a lot of room for imagination, creativity, expressing myself. So I was miserable as a teenager and I couldn't understand why, because technically I had everything that I needed to succeed. I had a loving family. But the way they loved me didn't feel like love. You know what I'm saying? Like people say, no, I'm doing this out of love. I'm telling you because I love you. I'm telling you because I care. It doesn't always feel like love, y'all. So we really need to have that conversation too. But I was so miserable. So, But by the time I left for college, I finally got a chance to be out of the house, kind of find myself a little bit because no one's breathing down my neck. No one's telling me what to do, how to do it. There is no schedule. There's no accountability. I got an adult all of a sudden. And I had a chance to really put myself out of my comfort zone, try new things. And I don't know, it kind of blew the lid off of what I thought was possible. So from there, obviously, I switched over to studying psychology, I wanted to test um, behaviors, I, you know, went into comparative cognition, I wanted to listen really carefully to how animals even understand, you know, when you train a dog, when you have rats or mice, or any of those things, any of those lab animals, they behave the way that we behave on a very basic level. So why don't we talk about those things? We have all this intelligence, you know, as humans, but we don't talk about the very basic things. So what makes somebody light up? You can notice that, you can physically notice that, you can notice that in children. And what makes them kind of like, you know, reduce their energy, kind of shrink away from things. You can tell, you can physically measure all that, but we don't look at that at all. We listen to what people say, we take things at face value, we assume a lot. And so that's where the journey really began into me falling down this rabbit hole that is psychology and then eventually like years down the line after i'd had kids after i'd stepkids after i'd gotten a divorce somebody said you know you're really emotionally intelligent i was like uh what does that mean <laughs> what is i've never heard of that i know what iq is what the hell is eq and so it occurred to me that because i had observed so many years i naturally had this ability to notice and when you notice you know what questions to ask because even though they're saying one thing, their face is saying something else, their body language is saying something else, their behavior is saying something else. And I had learned to notice. So along the way, I kind of picked up this gift that is emotional intelligence, awareness of my surroundings. And it's helped a lot with my coaching business. It's why I am an intuitive coach. 
I don't teach by philosophy. I teach by touch almost. And I, I want to point out something that you said that was really important and relevant to what we're talking about with the five love languages, how you said I had a really loving family, but it didn't feel like love to me. That is so very important because people often do things out of love, but it's not the thing that you need to feel love. And that is amazing that you, you brought that up, you know, as in relation to your childhood. Cause I feel like at points, a lot of children feel that way. Like, Oh, like they're saying they love me, but this is what it feels like to me. You know, um, that is so important. And, um, when we're talking about the five love languages, let's let's move in. Let's um, discuss sure. what the five love languages are and a brief description of each. Okay. So there are five, and I promise you, you need all five in varying degrees, but you need all five. Uh, one of them is acts of service. And my understanding of acts of service is if you have a lot of things going on and someone's able to help you with some of those things, this includes chores, this includes helping carrying groceries, it includes, you know, if you have this big project and they can take part of that project and take care of it for you, that it's an act of service. You are removing part of their burden somehow. So that's what I understand acts of service as. Uh, There's quality time. That does not mean you both sit on the couch facing the same way or, you know, in proximity to, it means focused attention as in, I am really listening to what you have to say. And I am really engaged in this game of Jenga that we have going on. It could be anything, but you're focusing the attention on the person in front of you instead of just sharing space, sharing proximity, sharing the same direction, if that makes sense. So that would be quality time. Uh, Gifts, gifts can be anything. It doesn't even have to be something that uh, costs actual money. Obviously, technically everything costs money, but I mean, you don't have to go out and buy them a gift. It could be something as simple as, I made you food today that your favorite food is, and I know you're going through a tough time, so I made your comfort food and I'm giving it to you and that is a gift because I took the time and the effort to create something that is specific to you. It shows you that I know you. I know what makes you happy. I know what gives you comfort, makes you feel safe. So that would be gifts to me. Physical touch um, is a little bit more complicated and it depends very, very personally on each person that you're, you're talking to. So physical, uh, physical touch could be anything from a high five. It could be, you know, a hug. It could be just leaning on people when you're, you're, um, you know, sitting around watching or having a conversation, you could be watching football, you know, just throw your legs on somebody. It could be holding hands as you walk down the street. My daughter and I hold hands all the time and it it makes me feel safe and makes her feel safe. So it could be something as simple as that. It doesn't have to be anything overly physical. It doesn't have to be kisses. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, any kind of intimacy like that. It could be something as simple as a high five, literally. It could be a slap on the back, you know, just to say, oh my God, good job. I'm so proud of you, you know? So it's something as simple as that. And then let's see here, what am I missing? Words of affirmation. Um, Words of affirmation do not have to be things like, I love you all the time. It could be like, oh my gosh, you did really great. I want to celebrate something with you. I want to tell you that I noticed something that you did, you accomplished. Uh, With kids, it's really great to see them light up and you say, I love the way you do that. Or, oh my gosh, do you see how much you've changed over the course? I I appreciate that you're getting better at this skill that you're putting effort into. So to notice progress in somebody else, I think is a beautiful way to use uh, words of affirmation. So there you have it, the words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, gifts, and physical touch. All right, I love that. And I 
over time had to realize, you know, what you actually really like. Cause I think, I feel like sometimes you adapt, like you're like, you oh, change over time. Yes. Yeah. What they are doing. And this is how they say they want to care. So you just accept that even though it's not the way that you really feel like you should be cared for. Right. And so, um, one of the things that I think is important is paying attention um, when it comes to our households, right? Paying attention yeah. to your children, your significant other, your um, spouse, whomever lives with you, and knowing what lights them up. Like you said, like when you yes. give them words of affirmation, does that light them up? When you have acts of service, does that light, like which one lights them up and which one lights them up the most? You know, um, for me, I think mine is quality time. Like the other things I'm like, eh, like, (laughs) you know, they don't really matter to me, you know, because I feel like those are more, uh, some of those are more emotional things. And I feel like I'm not that emotional. So if you come to me with words of affirmation, I'm like, "Uh, okay, all right, (laughs) you know, like, but it's not like something that really like, you know, things start going off, like can't see like this, like that, it's not that for me. So I think paying attention to what lights them up is something um, that could be very helpful. So when we're talking about our children and how we can use the five love languages um, by learning them and being able to apply that to the home so that you can bring down that chaos so that you yes. can um, uh, bring down the overwhelm by gi- giving them that thing that they need to uh I don't want to say focus, but to really listen to you. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to really pay attention and be enthralled in what you're saying instead of you telling like a four or three or four year old something and they're like, ah, they don't even hear you, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It happens. <laughs> they don't really hear you. They're like, ah, oh, yeah. You're going to worry about the age. It happens. Same with the teenager. You're telling them something and they don't hear anything you're saying. But if you're giving it to them in a way that feels really good to them, you know, <laughs> yeah. so let's talk about absolutely that a little bit. Um, I think little kids are so much easier because you can tell very quickly what lights them up. But as they go through school and they learn how to control their responses a little bit, it gets a little bit more difficult to kind of decipher what it is that lights them up. So you were right, absolutely right, when you say what my love language is or was has changed over time. It's adjusted, it's evolved, and that happens for kids. It's easy to see them, you know, that it happens with kids. So what was, you know, they go through phases, right? So what was cool one time is suddenly not cool because their friends don't think it's cool and now they've adjusted themselves. But um, for me with my daughter, and then even with my stepkids, I think it was it was a matter of actually spending time with them one-on-one. I mean, a house full of kids means a lot of times you don't get that chance to do it one-on-one, but it's almost like um, not really dating because I know people have like a weird idea of dating your kids, but if you spend one-on-one time with them, like it's just them and you, and you get to really have those deeper conversations to ask them what they're like, um, you know, what they're enjoying at school, what they don't enjoy, what cartoons are they attracted to or what movies or what fashion, whatever it is, if you can get that one-on-one time with them, the more you know about them, right? Because it's almost like even with your friends, anytime that passes, so much life has happened in between, you kind of have to get to know them again because they're a new person. So the more often, the more consistent you are about spending time with your kid one-on-one. So they don't feel like they're having to fight for your attention. They don't feel like, you know, they're in constant competition between your phone and them. It's focused time, talking, 
doing an activity, anything, so that you really get to know who they are and, and what they're like. Because there are so many movies out there where, you know, the parents kind of lost touch. They go back to what they remember was cool for them when they were little, knowing full well that, you know, 10, 15 years have passed and they're not like that no more. But, you know, they're trying. They're trying. And, and it's a great effort. But so much can be learned by just that one-on-one -on -one time with your kids. Um, I had stepkids before I had my own biological child. So getting to know them was difficult because they were very guarded. Um, they were from two different moms and they came in from a place of chaos. They didn't know who to trust. They didn't know what was going to be there for a long while. So they didn't know what to invest their interests in or even start to reveal about themselves. So it took me a lot of being around a lot, showing them that I'm not going to disappear one day. I'm not one of those cut bait and run kind of people. I was invested in them. And that meant that I was invested in the ugly things, which is like homework and making sure they ate their vegetables. Like little, they actually appreciate those things, you know, that it shows that you care. You're looking at their whole well-being rather than how to be your best friend and curry favor. So it's, it's important. Kids know. They see right through all that stuff. So mm -hmm. spending time with intention, the intent to get to know who they are without imposing any of your ideas, I think is really important. Yeah, I like that. I like that you said get to know who they are without direction, you know, without putting what you think they should be on them, but just letting them be. I believe wholeheartedly in letting them just be. Um, yes. Like you can guide and direct them as far as right and wrong, but everything else, just letting them explore and not just heavily putting everything you think on them, um, letting them, you know, become who they're going to be, right? Um, you kind of got to leave that space for them to discover a little bit too, right? You yeah. can't predict or let them know everything. They kind of got to touch and get hurt a little bit, but you, you'll be there to pick them back up and let them, yeah. you know, let's look at this and how can we change things? So yeah, you got to give them the space to be and explore. Okay. So when we're talking about a space to be and place to explore, and, and as we're talking about um, younger children and as they're growing with the five love languages, Let's kind of like lean a little bit into each one on okay. things you can do with each one with your child who has that love language or finding out what well, we'll go with the child who has that love language and then we'll come back to that. So the okay. child who has that love language is as we're talking about words of affirmation. So let's talk about I... a couple of things you can do daily to make sure that that love language is coming across for your child. So I'm going to pick a specific example because I feel like you really need to know your child in order to know what things they're interested in, in order to give them that word of affirmation. And like I said, it's encouragement, uh, recognizing that they've done something. Uh, they think it's a value. So they want to, you know, check with you and say, Hey, do you think it's a value too? They're kind of like, you know, getting you to reaffirm mm. what they feel about something. Um, and because we come from a place of we've we've had so much more life than they have already. Right. It's very easy for us to say, yeah, but you could do this. So it's, it's, it's restraining yourself from projecting onto them what you think they should be doing, accepting where they are right now, and maybe bringing up the fact that, you know, where they were before versus where they are now, there is a big leap in skill set. There is a big change in attitude. Maybe you're so proud of them because they're slowly picking up chores, you know, that they had never done before. And maybe before you had to remind them all the time and now they're doing it on their own. So you're, you're recognizing every piece of their development almost. Maybe they hated a certain vegetable and now they're being a little bit more brave and they're trying it. And wow, you know what? I am so impressed. You're actually being brave about this. You're, you're, you're venturing out of your comfort zone. You're trying new things. And I want you to continue trying new things. It's almost like encouraging their curiosity, encouraging their, um, their vulnerability, because that's how you 
cultivate a place of safety with them where they can come and ask you anything. They don't feel scared to say anything. They don't feel scared to show you anything that they're working on because they know that you're going to give them, you know, a, a very objective viewpoint and recognize the things that they've actually made effort in because you know them. So again, this comes back to, you got to really know your kid. You really got to, you know, understand where they are at the moment. And yes, the phases come and go very quickly when they're very young, but noticing those things, is helpful. And a lot of times when it's words of affirmation from a kid, you'll recognize it in the way they speak as well. The things they complain about, you'll recognize very quickly. Um, you'll be able to tell when they complain about something or they criticize something, and you'll be able to hear it in your voice as well. When you criticize something, it's the opposite of a word of affirmation, right? And you can see that, you know, their their face kind of, you know, gets kind of glum and their energy kind of dips and their body language kind of closes off a little bit. And you can tell that it's hurting their feelings. But there are other ways to say that. There is constructive feedback, obviously. It, it works for us adults as well. And then there's just judgment and a lot of our parents had a lot of judgment so that because we've had that role model before it's very easy to fall into that old pattern so it's very like a, a very aware intentional practice to to notice what's about to come out of your mouth and how it might sound and know your kid well enough to know what they what they would appreciate yes knowing how it affects them and when you said constructive and then you said judgment i automatically thought destructive feedback because it is doing some destroying when you are giving them it feedback is. that's hurting their feelings or feedback that's overly criticizing what they're doing. Um, it's Absolutely. immediately causing some destruction with them. And it immediately changes who they are in the moment, too. And yes. They remember. And they close off. <laughs> they remember. Was it Maya Angelou that said that? You know, people will forget what you say. They'll forget what you do. They will never forget how you made them feel. Yes, and especially children, they remember it and they're they're taking mental note of that because yep. they're going to know that next time I do this, like this is the response, you know what I mean? And it may, it so may, I'm just going to make sure they don't know about it. Yeah. It may hinder their growth too, because they're like, yeah. well, I did it last time and this is what happened and it made me feel mm -hmm. bad. So yep. that, yes, that's so very important. Okay. So we just covered words of affirmation. Let's talk about acts of kindness as we're dealing with children and what are some ways that we can get that love language across to a child whose love language is acts of kindness. Hey, so I'm interrupting this video to tell you about this really amazing community where moms are supporting moms in a really genuine way to be a support system in not only your, only your life, but in both your home and in your business. What's better than being with a group of like-minded women who really care about you and your success? We're talking personal development, business development, co-working, networking, and just support where we meet you where you are. We get and we got you. Check out the Thrive After Nine tribe at www.thriveafternine.com. Now back to the episode. When it comes to acts of service, I feel like you got to wait for the invitation a little bit. Some kids, as they're growing up, it is part of their development to kind of find autonomy. They uh, get a kick out of being able to do it yourself. You're big enough to do it yourself. But sometimes you will notice that they will ask for your help. They will ask for you to be involved. Hey, can you do this with me? Hey, can you be here while I do something? And that for them, I feel like is an act of service. While you're not doing it for them, 
but you're being around, you're being supportive. Maybe you help with an aspect of it. Maybe it's, they want to cook and they want your help with, you know, a tool that they're not familiar with, or they want your help prepping so they can put everything together. And then they feel autonomous. They feel like, oh my gosh, I'm independent. I could do this on my own. So there is that aspect of wait for the invitation. They will let you know what they need help on because I've made the mistake of wanting to help out and help out in a way that they were not expecting you to. And now they're mad at you because you took away the fun part and you didn't realize it was the fun part for them. So wait for the invitation, ask them if they want any help with something, you want me around for this. And they can, they're very quick about saying yes, no, or maybe because at that age, I feel like they don't restrict themselves at all. They want to express themselves very easily. They don't think about it. They just say yes, no, or maybe. So I think that's really helpful. I do too. I love what you said about <laughs> waiting for the invitation because sometimes you do things and they're like, no, I wanted to do that. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so wait, yeah, like the way they always mess you up, you might not want to mess with that. <laughs> yes. Wait for the invitation. That is great because I haven't thought about that. Um, but I notice when the toddler says to me, hey, can you help me with this? Right. But then when I try mm -hmm. to help, um with certain things it's like no like i want to do it you know and i'm like okay so i don't know when to help and when not to but what you just said makes so much sense wait to wait for the invitation okay ask the All questions right. ask the questions so if she invites you please help me and be like okay what do you need me help, help with okay let them teach you what they want almost yeah <laughs> i i'm soaking it all in because i'm gonna definitely be using it <laughs> I love the music. This is my toddler. I learned the hard way, man. It's confusing. Like every day is confusing. All right. No. Okay. And so now we, we just finished talking about um, acts of service. What about physical touch? Physical touch that as is... it pertains to, you know, the children. And you know, like some children like it. They want hugs. They want some children are like, uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So what are some ways? to incorporate um, physical touch if that's your child's love language? Um, for me, I've always been one not to try physical touch to test it out. I would rather have a conversation about it. So it will be things like maybe we watch a movie together and we see how, you know, a parent and child interact on screen. And I ask them, okay, what did you like about it? Did that feel loving to you? You know, what do you think about that? Um, so then I'm not actually physically testing in case that touch isn't a good touch. You know what I'm saying? So I get nervous about that. I did not have a very good childhood when it came to physical touch issues. Um, I had a sexual abuse situation when I was very young. So I'm very paranoid about that stuff. So I would rather have the conversation and rather than test it out on the kid, I would rather use media like cartoons, TV, you know, movies, all that stuff. There's plenty of examples of physical touch on there where I don't have to physically touch the child first and they can tell me what they think of that so you see something on tv and you're like oh my gosh I didn't like that so much you know that didn't seem very loving and I'm like okay well what would you do differently and what would be more loving to you and then hearing them give me that feedback gives me an idea of okay well this would be better than this is what they would appreciate maybe it's something as simple as you know rubbing their head or uh, doing their hair some people really are very particular about their physical body and I think children have a really good sense of what's okay and what's not okay until they're told how to feel about what's okay and what's not okay. And then it changes and they're kind of battling between what feels good to them and what's supposedly okay with, you know, what the culture is telling them. So those conversations using media in that way, I think is really great because I don't have to violate your privacy or your boundary or your space to test and see what works. We can talk about it instead at, with a third party, you know, uh, situation that we're looking at. 
Okay. And as we're talking about um, with your, your own children and um, what about cues or what about, um, I want to say asking the question, oh, would you like a hug? Do you like hugs? Oh, do you, would you like a kiss? Do you like kisses? You know what I mean? I think with the children that kind of are at an age that they understand, so I'm like, oh yeah, I want a hug. Oh yeah, I want to kiss goodnight. You know what I mean? And then sometimes also, that works, and sometimes cute. asking for their favorite memories, favorite memories of when they felt the most loved. Like you know, what was your favorite time that we spent time together? What was your favorite time of you know when we uh, anything? Any of those favorite memories can actually give you a cue. Some kids, when they're very very little, you can ask them that, and they'll be like yes or no. But as they get to like I don't know six, seven, eight, they're getting a little bit older. You don't really know what works, what doesn't work. Um, having a conversation in a in a kind of i don't know not really social but like a not like a formal conversation where you're not sitting across the table from each other but kind of like maybe if you're going for a walk and you talk about these things in passing it's not so i'm asking you a direct question you got to directly answer me back we t- kind of talk in theory and you know you enjoy the activity that you're doing, you kind of talk around the issue. That might be a, a different way to kind of approach it. Like I said, young kids, it's real easy to ask and they say yes, no. Um, but as they get older, I think there's a lot more thoughts involved, a lot more feelings about, you know, what they see versus what they want. Um, and so something a, a casual, that's the word I was looking for, a casual setting where you can have these conversations. And maybe it becomes one of those once a week we do this. And so that's that place where we can have these conversations that we want to discover more about each other and it's not like a, okay something happened and now i gotta address this issue kind of thing you know what i'm saying so then it's like a it's something they can predict it's a, it's a casual setting a little bit okay so we've talked um we're talking about physical touch and ways that you can engage your child whose love language is physical touch um starting with smaller children and moving on to older children as we know like is as they get to teenagers, like their love language may be physical touch, but they don't want your physical touch at the moment. <laughs> because they're <laughs> it's like having a, a moment, right? right? <laughs> yeah. So um, knowing the cues, knowing the questions, having the conversations is a good way for physical touch. Now, as we talk about um, receiving gifts, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about children, especially smaller children, um, I want to say, um, up to about what, nine or 10, like mm-hmm. smaller children and receiving gifts, like toys, just different things. I don't, I don't yeah. see a, a problem, you know, there because they, they're always excited. Christmas is new the thing, right? Yeah. They're new, excited. Right? Yeah. So, um, what are some ways to engage your children? Um, if they are very um, in tune with receiving gifts as their love language, even, I want to say, even if you can't buy them things all the time. I come from a household where we haven't always had money. So for us to show love in the form of gifts, like I said before, it could be a treat. It could be something I made for them that shows them that I know them very well. 
um, when I was growing up, no, when I was growing up, when I, when I first had my stepkids, I did away with Christmas lists. I did not want to do Christmas lists. I wanted to spend time with them and I wanted to listen really carefully to the things that they said, the things that they thought were cool. And then wherever I could, I would do something in line with something they had mentioned. So yeah. it was almost like I could remind them we had that conversation together. This is an inside joke of ours. Now we can, you know, we have a physical representation of that inside joke or that time spent together. Um, so it could be, it really could be anything. I think children are, they're in a beautiful phase of their life where pretty much anything new, it could be a, a new pad of paper. They'd be super excited sometimes. I mean, my daughter is a stationary geek. She would love, every time we go to the store, she wants a new book. She wants a new pen. She wants something, something new, but something really small. And she gets excited about that. She'll light up about that for like a week, two weeks, three weeks straight. And it's the simplest thing. Really little kids are hilarious because you can buy them a really cool toy. Most times they end up playing with a box. So you can tell that, you know, these little things, they're new to them. They can be repurposed some other way. They just get excited. But I want to remind parents, gift giving does not mean labels. It does not mean a big price tag. It does not mean that you have to save up to do something big. And then every year has to be bigger than the year before. It could be something more meaningful than the year before. It could be something representative time spent together. It could be something uh, you take a picture and you frame it up in the house. Like you hang it up in the house and it's a gift to them because now there is a physical representation of what you mean to that child and what that child means to you and how y'all's relationship looks. Maybe you collect seashells by the beach. That's also considered a gift. Maybe you go out once a week and you have your favorite McDonald's break, you know, cheat meal or whatever it is. Like that is still a gift. It's something that is specific to their experience. It's specific to what they like and what they don't like and, and can be easily experienced as a gift. I like that. And you kind of don't think about those things. You don't think about, oh, I'm getting them something that they really enjoy. So that is um, a, a receiving a gift because to them, yep. it's something it's something simple to us, but to them, it's big. And sometimes I think we forget that. We forget that something as small as giving them their favorite treat is yep. a gift, you know? So and sometimes it doesn't have to be tangible. It could be the gift of an experience. Have you ever had someone say, oh my gosh, you know what? Let's take a break out of our normal everyday thing and let's go for a walk. That's also a gift. It's a gift of an experience. Let's go rollerblading. Let's go ride our bikes. It's, that's still the, ex the gift of an experience. And of course we don't think about that. <laughs> and it's free. <laughs> of course we don't think about that at all. Not at all. No, but that is great because it leads into our last, <laughs> our last love language, which is quality time. And when we think about children, like quality time can be hit or miss, I feel, because what you think is quality time might not be quality time for them because, you know, they, they are so, they move around so much, like they're yeah. on to the next thing so quickly. So what are some ways to um, introduce and um, maintain quality time with your child if that's their love language? So that moment where you said, you know, they're on to the next thing so quickly, I think is so pivotal. And so I'm going to give you an example of something that I'm sure everybody, every parent has come across. You're in the middle of something really busy and they come in like, mom, 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 I need you to see this. Well, guess what? If you can take a break and actually focus there. You don't have to focus for more than 10, 15 minutes and then they're on to the next thing. So if you make it a practice 
to be able to take 15 minutes, knowing that it will only be 15 minutes or so, when they come bother you because they're excited, pay attention and let them share that enthusiasm because they thought of you first to share it with. And rather than be like, oh my God, I'm busy later, later, later. It's easy to do that. Know that it's not going to take very long. Know it's going to be about 15 minutes. And if you can, it's not super urgent, right? You can tell them, hey, you know what? All right, I'm going to turn away from whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm going to watch you for 15 minutes or whatever you want me to, sh- you to, sh- to show me. And you give them the quality time in that moment. Because like you said, they're on to the next thing. As they grow older, they don't always want to share stuff with us. They realize that our humor and their humor is different. But while they want your attention, I think it's really important to indulge them every so often. You won't be able to do it every time, but if you make it a practice where like 75% of the time you do stop and listen, it allows them to still feel connected to you and that you are still a safe place for those bigger conversations where they really do need your attention and they don't have to think twice about whether I can or can't go ask mom, whether I can or can't go ask dad. So I think that's really important for people to like, you know, notice, yeah, they're going to bother you. You'll be you know, knee deep in some stuff that you got to get done now. But when that child has a moment and they really want to share something with you, if you can, please, please, please try your best to take about 15 minutes, really focus on them because it won't take much more than 15 minutes. Usually if they're sharing something with you, it doesn't take much more than that. I love that. And I love that you really brought that up because some of these things I've started doing just, I won't say unconsciously, but um, as I'm recognizing what's going on, um, I know that when the toddler comes up for bed and I'm always in my office at night because I'm always working late, like at night. And when she's coming up, I know that she's going to open the door, stop, talk, ask me what I'm doing. So when I hear her coming up the stairs, I'm already prepared that she's going to come in and start talking to me. You get what I mean? So at first I was like, go to bed. It's time to bed, (laughs) you know? And then eventually... I just let her come in and talk. Um, and then I, and then as everyone else comes up, they're like, come on, it's time for bed. So I let them say, come on, it's time for bed. But I let her talk until. And yeah, that has, you know, really been like, it feels different. You know, at first. It I reduces the always, amount of tension, right? Yeah, yeah. I always feel bad kind of sending her away. And I know it made her feel bad. So I was just like, I'm yeah. just going to let her talk, right? I'm just going to let her talk. And then it felt better. Because mm-hmm. she's not being, you know, hurried away, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm able to like, just take those few minutes, like you said, um, cause it's not a long time. It's probably like it's five, they five get tired. <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels like a long time, but it's not right. Yeah. Because you're in the middle yeah. of something. So it feels like a long time. So, um, I love that you said that because I think that every parent can use that. Like sometimes when you, your kid comes in and you're busy and you're like, oh no, go like I'm working or I'm doing this. And they're automatically deflated because they're like, yeah. wow, you know, like, and they're automatically deflated and you can handle that differently, you know? So I love that you said that. So let me ask you a question. When you changed the way you saw that and you allowed it a little bit, you didn't fight against it, you allowed it. Didn't that fill you up a little bit when she went back to bed finally as well? Yeah, like it, it, yeah. there was no, um, I don't want to say anger because it's not, there was no irritation, right? Right. Because before it was a little bit of irritation because I'm working and she comes and it was a little bit of irritation because I'm like, I'm working. Yeah. But then when, I know that feeling. And then when I didn't even 
like I stopped caring about it, there was no irritation. Yeah. And I was able to get back to what I was doing quicker because you know, with the irritation, now you have to center yourself. Back you got to wind down. Doing. You got to get back in the, you know what I mean? But once yeah. I just forgot about it, it was, it was much better. And yeah. for me, I, I realized that, you know, when she has a chance to share something with me, like my, my daughter does that when it's time to go to bed is when all the stories will come out and like, <laughs> she wants to talk and talk, but it's also because I've been busy all day and I haven't had the chance. So this is our time together. And once I started doing that, I walk away from that little piece of time feeling better about myself and re-energized almost. So don't knock the little things. It really matter to both of us, the kid and the parent. Yes, because it, it makes you feel better too when you can actually engage in a positive way. And instead of engaging with irritation or anger, um, because that affects you as well. Like you might not know in the moment, but once you think, when you think back to it, you're like, why did I do that? I could have did this in a different way, right? So it's about, yeah. you know, that awareness and actually, you know, being aware and then saying, okay, let me try it a different way and constantly practicing it, right? Because I think that we don't, we don't practice it. Like, we're like, okay, we're going to do this. And then we, we know it in theory. The yep. Yeah, we don't do the thing. And then we don't do it again. And we're like, okay, I need to start doing it. So it becomes natural. You know what I mean? Like, it's something that we're doing naturally. Because now I already know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I don't. Don't, I don't fight it. <laughs> yeah, I don't fight it. Yeah, I don't fight it. Because I already know what's going to happen. That's what happens. She comes in. She goes to bed. And I'm like, okay. And I'm still doing what I'm doing, right? <laughs> And, and what you've intuitively done is learned what her process is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I let the process That's how she be, the, be the process, right? Instead of yeah. trying to go against the grain and causing more tension and irritation. So, yes, I am enjoying all of these <laughs> five love languages and the simple things that you don't think about that you can yeah. definitely apply right away. Um, and when you apply it right away, you can, you will see a difference. Like you'll really see a difference in how you feel and how they feel. And I think that it can bring you closer. Like, cause a lot of times Absolutely. I would say you're estranged in your own home, but sometimes because oh, you're gosh. like, you're, you're all, um, in your own little worlds and to be able to bring the world together is being able to understand what the other person needs and how they need it. And I think with the love language, it's a good way to start. And honestly, it's it's like the reason I made this a cornerstone to my business is because I felt like life was happening while I was being busy. I'm trying to build a life, right? But life was happening while I was building the life, which means I miss all of the little things. And looking back, you're like, oh my gosh, when did they grow up so fast? And when did I you know, miss this? And how did they? And I don't want that. So whenever they ask for time, whenever they make a complaint, take it seriously. Um, so you can make sure that you're still present. You're You're still a witness to their life. It's almost like we have the chance to raise these little humans and they're on loan to us because at some point they're going to go off and try, you know, live their life by themselves. They don't need us anymore. But while they do need us, indulge them a little bit. I know that's what I would have wished my parents had done for me. And so the reason I even teach this is because I want to shortcut that for you guys. I don't want you to learn the hard way like I did. Um, enjoy your kids while they're little, enjoy your kids while they want you around, because then it's like not cool to want your parents, right? So while they want you around, enjoy that, really soak it in. Um, and it doesn't take much time, at, you know, at a time. Yes, I love that. And I love that you're incorporating so much of 
your experiences into what's going on so that it can be relatable and so that we can understand how it was applied in your own life. And this is going to lead us into the next part of Uh the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a part of the podcast where it's like mommyhood behind the scenes. And we ask the guests to tell us about a little story, funny, or um, things that have happened that you yourself um, look back on and you laugh at that maybe wasn't so funny, but a story about you and your child and your interactions. Oh my goodness, where do I start? What do I do? Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to tell you a story about my stepkids. When we finally moved into the house together, like until then they were living in two separate houses, two separate moms. And I was like, no, this won't do. I think that you know siblings need to know each other a little bit so that they, they get to grow up together. And I remember thinking as I was growing up that I would never be like my mom. I would never be that strict. I would never be that harsh. I would never be that exacting and judgmental. And then you know how moms usually tell you, yeah, but I understand you have kids. And I'm like, whatever, don't curse me. And then I had stepkids. <laughs> and first of all, that was, you know, rude awakening because they're not physically mine. So there's certain things you can and can't do with stepchildren. Um, and as much as I want them to know that they are mine, I do claim them. I'm proud to raise these children. Ooh, they tested my patience and they pushed my boundaries. And I heard my mom come out my mouth and I was like, because oh. I heard that I told you to do it because I said so. And I heard, you know, don't cry. I'll give you a reason to cry. Oh my God. Mom yeah. needs to hit me. And I caught myself raising my hand. I was like, can't do this like I can't do this are you crazy at that point I realized I was looking at these children like I had a stepdaughter and a stepson they were about six years apart and um I could suddenly see the change in their demeanor when I raised my voice because my stepdaughter was very sensitive to the volume of someone's voice and my stepson was very sensitive to being ignored and I tried everything under the sun. I couldn't figure out how to get. The, and I realized what I was doing was I was trying to control them, which is what my parents did to me. I was repeating what I knew until I realized that that's not going to work. These are two separate kids. They respond two separate ways. And I need to really pay attention to what hurts their feelings and what actually lights them up. And that's where the five love languages kind of came into play. When my daughter would hear me yell, because I was frustrated. I didn't know what else to do. I would tell you nicely 10,000 times. You still didn't listen. So I'm going to raise my voice and hopefully that catches your attention. Yeah, that didn't work out so well because she would be that deer caught in the headlights and she would be paralyzed. And then she didn't want to talk to me for a while. And I was like, shit, now I've lost her. And I got to build that rapport back again. And it's not that I was mad at who she was as a person. I was upset with the behavior. And so when I came at it from that point of view, it was like, obviously what my parents did did, did not work because I was product of that and I can't pass it on to these kids, what I had to do was get to know them. So if my daughter was sensitive to sound, I had to find words of affirmation to kind of encourage the behavior that I did want rather than criticize the behavior that I didn't want. I had to give an alternative. It's almost like you're doing this thing and it's destructive to the end result of what you want. So how about you try this instead? So I gave her the choice and I gave her an alternative and that worked out so much more beautifully than I could have imagined. With my son, he was very sensitive to the fact that when I was pissed off and I was done yelling, then I, I needed space. I need I can't be around you. I can't look at you right now because I'm mad and I need to calm down before I can speak to you. And, and that's when he would come creeping by like, are you mad at me? Are you going to leave me? Are you going to? No, I'm not going to leave you. I'm still here. 
But what I need you to understand is this is important. So it became a, a question of not what's right and what's wrong as a behavior and not that you're a bad person because you exhibit the behavior. We're going to tackle the behavior. It's going to be you and me versus this behavior. How do we fix it? And then it became a, a question of what are you doing that's productive and works? And what are you doing that doesn't work? Because I need you to connect with what your end goal is. So then it became a, a co-parenting. He and I were parenting him. She and I were parenting her. We were trying to figure it out together. It wasn't me against them. It was me against the situation that was causing a problem or the behavior that was causing a problem. And that made a world of a difference. But yeah, before that, I definitely saw my mom come out my mouth. That's and I definitely had a good time with my mom one day. All the time, right? right? Like, I'm not going to do this that way. And then you find yourself. I wrote a book like, when I was little then, of all the things I wouldn't do. And, and then think about it. if you look like your parent too. And then you see yourself doing what they did and you look like. You catch a reflection in the mirror. like, oh, no. <laughs> that is, that's hilarious. I love that it. That was bad. Okay. And as we're talking about this, this leads right into what I was going to ask next. So it's so funny. So. What's one thing you would tell your past self? So as a mom, looking back, knowing that you're going to become a mom, right? What's one thing that you would tell your past self? In order for me to better understand the world around me, I probably would tell my, my younger self the fact that what my mom did, how my mom raised me, was the best she knew at the time. She didn't have anyone else to role model. It was not a culture of let's compare notes and see what the best way to raise a child is. It wasn't a village raises a child. It was let's get all the like-minded people together and we're going to make sure we all do the same thing so we can reinforce it over and over again. Mm -hmm. So what I realized over time is, and I want my younger self, I wish my younger self knew is, as I was growing up, I was watching my parent grow up. There is no manual for that. There is a lot of trial and error. So if you think of them as they're growing up too, there's nothing that says this is the way it should be done. It's like you give them a little bit more compassion. You see them as human and not this role model who's supposed to have it all figured out because they damn sure didn't have it figured out. They did not know any better. Mm, I like that because we do, we look back on it now. And I think before we even made it here, right? We were like, <laughs> why did they... Why did they do those things and why did that happen? And we know now that they did the best they could at that time. They they did what they knew, what they were taught, right? And it's been just passed. What was down. allowed. Yeah. yeah. Our parents were so stuck on what was appropriate according to culture, according to religion, according to I don't know what, that they never thought for a moment that they could decide for themselves, define for themselves, and we have the opportunity mm -hmm. now. Yes, I love it. Just being able to just be, just be. And I say that all the time, just be, because we we look to other people and we look to other things to see what we should do. And I say, like, mm. just be and do what feels right for you, right? Like, That's you don't that have keyword. to. Feels right. Yep. Feels right for you. You don't have to go with what everybody else is doing or go with what you were taught. Like, do what feels right and good for you. And honestly, if you love your decisions, there's no need for anyone else to like co-sign to that. You love your decision. That's all it is. Finish. Just yeah, keep that, going. That's that unapologetic, right? Just, you don't need a co-sign. You don't need anybody's <laughs> input. Just move how you move. And um, that's where it's going to be, right? So yep. <laughs> I, um, 
we have one question um, for today. And that question is um, kind of putting you on the spot, but that's, you know, your stuff, right? So the question for the Q&A is, wait, where do you begin to offer the other person, like your child or your spouse, their love language if you're uncomfortable because you're not an emotion sharing person? So how do you ease into it? Like it's something you're not used to. So how do you- So you're begin? stepping out of your comfort zone, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So you're uncomfortable because it's not something you, you're used to because it wasn't done for you. So how do you begin to- um, share and offer their love language to them. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, my stepson was a very physical touch person and he got very upset a lot of times because I was very physically affectionate with my daughter, but I wasn't so physically affectionate with my son. And mostly that became uh, a, a thing that was a spinoff from my traumatic childhood, my experience with men in general. And I didn't want there to be inappropriate touches or any, I didn't know what, I didn't know what was appropriate. So what I found I had to do was I had to talk to him a lot. I had to spend time in other ways. I had to learn that there were appropriate touches that had nothing to do with his physical, like his main trunk of his body. It could be his hand, his arm, his hair. Um, it could be, just sitting together on a couch. Um, and so as I moved out of my trauma, I had, to, I had to communicate the entire way. I had to communicate the entire way. I needed him to know that I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't touch him because I didn't love him. It wasn't that I didn't touch him because I didn't see him as a child. It was none of that at all, but I didn't know what appropriate was and I didn't want to violate anything. And I was being extra careful and super paranoid. Um, but this is where that came from. And so me, allowing the other person to see me at my most vulnerable and to see into some of the things that had hurt me as a child and was hesitant about, you know, showing, I think helped him understand and realize, okay, there are other ways that I do show love though. Right. And so if he could, if he could notice these other ways that I do show love, as I learn slowly to kind of put myself out there and hug him more often and hold his hand sometimes or put my arm around his shoulder, something that wasn't, you know, nothing that could be misconstrued at all because I was very paranoid about that. Um, the communication, you managing their expectations is so crucial and I can't emphasize that enough. Manage these people's expectations because when you don't have that open line of communication, what happens? We fill in the blanks. We want the whole story. We're going to assume all the reasons for why you didn't do something. I mean, think about somebody who, you know, you text often and they respond back quickly, right? Suddenly they go missing for like an hour and a half and you have all kinds of stories for why they're ignoring you, whereas they might be. So that open line of communication has to be there. You manage their expectations. They will give you the grace to walk out of your comfort zone, but you don't and there'll be pressure there. And then there's a lot of misunderstandings. You need the open line of communication. Okay, so I just want to repeat this back because I want to <laughs> see if this is what I'm hearing. So sure, what okay. I'm hearing is that if you are uncomfortable um, in delivering the love language to your children, to your significant other, to what have you, if you're mm -hmm. uncomfortable that you need to communicate, you need to also ease into what you are comfortable um, in order to... Uh, possibly not ostracize yourself right from everyone, but also so that they know that you do love them, but you have to get comfortable with the different ways to uh, portray the love. 
I feel like you do have to get comfortable and and I'll put it to you in this way. A lot of times we get very used to the words, I was triggered, that is a trigger for me, so I will not do those things. But if you look at all the things that trigger you in your life, you're painting yourself into a corner. Part of the reason that we have relationships is to heal us through old trauma. So if you find yourself in a relationship that is safe and they are asking for something that you're not comfortable with, it is an opportunity for you to heal, which means teach your nervous system that this new uh, situation that you're in is not like the old. A lot of times we look over our um, the body of our life experiences, right? Let's say I had three relationships, all three relationships sucked and they just did not work well. For me, that's three out of three, which means always this happens. But in the grand scheme of things, that's three out of I don't know how many billion. So I need to embrace the opportunity for a new experience to negate what I think is the rule. What we don't realize is a lot of our experiences, a lot of those traumas, they are the exception to the rule. But because they're one of one or one, three of three, they feel like this always happens to me. So we have to teach our nervous system, which is built to protect us, to avoid pain, right? Uh, everything is so we don't die in order to grow out of that. So you adjusting and stepping out of your comfort zone and getting used to something you're not used to, getting used to something you don't feel comfortable with slowly in a safe environment helps you heal past that trauma. You can't heal anything that you don't try again and prove to yourself will turn into something different. Mm. Yep. I love it. Like when we have these conversations and we're just talking. <laughs> I never know what's like, going to come I'm out, y'all. I'm soaking yo. <laughs> it all in. I'm soaking it all in because you're always um, so knowledgeable and giving. I like that you give tangible things that you can do and also relevant experiences, right? Because I feel, I feel like, like I didn't live through all that crap not to share it. Yeah. <laughs> and when it's re <laughs> it's relatable, right? You're mm -hmm. like, okay, this is where I was. This is what happened. This is how I got through it. It's so relatable and relative that people can see like, okay, that this is not just me. Like there are other mm -hmm. people out here that have had these experiences and it can definitely help me as well. And, so. um, <laughs> so before um, we get ready to go and we're talking about using the love languages in your home, but you know, we're talking to moms who are entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. I thought about um, being able to also keep the chaos down, the overwhelm and the burnout when it comes to business as well. And being mm -hmm. able to utilize love languages in your business, right? And um, the awareness and the discernment to know, okay, I should be working with this person. I should not be working mm -hmm. with this person. This is my love language. This person, they're not going to mesh well with my love language, right? And yeah. if I work with this person, I'm going to have chaos. I'm going to have overwhelm. I'm not going to have such a great experience because I feel like sometimes as women, as moms, as business owners, that we don't look at ourselves first a lot. We're always worried about everything and everyone else, but yeah. um, being able to apply this to ourselves in knowing in business who to work with, who not to work with, even with clients, being able to say, okay, this client's not going to fit with me because um, that's going to take away from my peace and sanity and I'm just going to pass, you know? So yep. as we're applying love languages to mom entrepreneurs, the entrepreneur side. Oh, wow. Um, 
I'm going to give you a quick energy test. I think that would be really helpful because first of all, you need to know that saying no to a client is absolutely acceptable. Yeah. And no is a full stop, no explanation necessary. You know, it's a full sentence. But the energy test I want you to think about is when you interact with that person, that potential client, when you interact with a specific, maybe it's, you know, a supporter who subscribes to your channel and always comments, when you, when you, when you think about interacting with that person, how does your body feel? Do you kind of heave a sigh and like, oh, okay, let me go do this now? Or is it like, oh, wow, okay, they, they commented and, and you light up. So all of that comes back down to, you know, watching behavior, right? So if somebody interacts with you and you get excited about the interaction, that's a whole body, yes. If you have a hesitation, if you're dragging your heels to do something, but you're doing it because it's ob you're obligated to do this, you're supposed to respond to everybody, that's a no from your body. That's a no from your spirit. And that's okay. Not everybody is meant for you. And not every client is meant to be your client. As much as they choose their coaches and as much as they choose the products and services, you have every right to decline service. And you can, I mean, you can make up something sweet and be like, you know what? I'm actually fully booked up on that time or I don't deal with clients in that specific regard, but maybe I can refer you to somebody else who does. But you have to get, used to and this is for home and for family and for work saying no and being okay with that there is no shame or guilt attached to a no this is for your sanity it's for your peace of mind and your your business much like your children is another baby of yours if you want the business to grow you can't be your best self if you're always in survival mode if you're always fighting for energy if you're trying really hard to accommodate other people they're you give up pieces of yourself when you accommodate. There are sometimes there it's a joy to accommodate. And sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, why do I have to do this? It's like, it's taking away from me. So when it comes to your business, get used to saying no, please. Because the last thing you need is a, is a client that's going to take up all of your time and energy constantly clinging on to you where you can't serve anybody else. And that's the real thing that happens. So it's okay to say no. It's okay to give them a polite, you know, redirection to somebody else who might be a better fit. Um, but you got to take care of you, especially if you're building a brand, if you're building a business, because that is an extension of who you are, correct? And you can't be your best self if you're in survival mode. I love it. And I love that you talked about energy because energy is very important when it comes to the overwhelm, the chaos, the burnout, right? Like if your energy is good, you're able to move, right? If your energy is bad, that causes that um, chaos, that overwhelm, because you're trying to, like, you're you're moving in survival mode, like fight or flight, right? And you're yep. definitely not in the mode to where you're able, you're going to be able to move from business to your home because you're going to take that with you, right? It's like a transition that you need. So my thing is, if you don't have it in your business, you're not going to take it home, right? So being able to um, discern what feels good to you and your love language and who you work with so that um, it's not being crossed over into your home life as well. Because I feel like a lot of times you can take that with you. And sometimes you don't even notice that you're taking business or work energy home, right? Absolutely. Being able to do if somebody has broken you so badly down, you go home. Where where are you supposed to recharge? Home is where you're supposed to recharge, right? So of course you take it home with you. I'll give you an example. Some people in in my line of work, some people want the attention, 
and some people actually want help. And being able to notice the difference will make or break your business. Yeah, I love it. That that's that's a full like a full word right there. Like <laughs> I, I love what you just said. <laughs> I love it's it. hard, but yeah, trial and error. You'll figure it out. <laughs> you said trial and error. You'll figure it out. Yeah. So as, <laughs> we're um, as we're leaving. The last thing that I do. Um, on the podcast is I do what's called a tool and a tip. So today as we're talking about emotional intelligence, I'm going to give a tool, then I'll come to you for a tip. You've got a couple of seconds to think about the tip that you're going to give as we're wrapping up today. (laughs) So (laughs) my tool for today. So as I give you all tools, it's not always going to be a business tool. It's not always going to be software, hardware, things like that. Today's tool is really simple. You probably already have it at home. It's called a pen and a journal. Your tool that I'm giving you today will help you along the way as you are going through transitions at which are daily as a mom entrepreneur because things change in your house daily, things change in your business daily, to take the time to um, journal in the morning, whether it's two, three minutes, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. Journal in the morning, what you would like your day to be journal at night, what your day was, what you would like to change so that each day you're setting off the intentions for your day. And every night you're writing down what actually occurred, what you would like to change and set up for your next day. So journaling is your tool for today. And if you're a person, you're like, I don't really like to write, even though I believe that when you put the pen to paper, that all of your thoughts flow and they flow unending and you don't have to really think about it. Go ahead if you can and you want to journal and you don't like to write. I don't want that to be your holdup. So what I want you to do is grab a voice recorder, grab your phone, hit voice record and just talk it out. Because I don't want you to have any excuses to why you can't journal. So if you're like, I don't want to write it down because I don't really like to write. Like, that's not my thing. But you are a talker. Pull out your phone, hit the voice record and go ahead and record your intentions of the day every morning and night. What happened and then what you would have liked to happen if it didn't go exactly how you wanted it to set up your attentions for the next day and do it daily just to get those thoughts out, to get those feelings out and to really like get a focus. So your tool for today is a pen and your journal or your voice recorder if you don't like to write. So now we're going to move over to Rasathi, who is our EQ coach and her expertise is emotional intelligence to grab your tip for today. So your tip for today is to pay attention to your feelings. Your feelings pop up for a specific reason. It's your spirit talking to you and telling you what works and what does not work. So those ugly feelings, those feelings we don't want to admit to, Mm -hmm. they're telling you that whatever it is that upset that feeling does not work. You need to change it. So if you find a way to draw awareness to your feelings and figure out where the feeling is coming from, I guarantee you will be able to find better solutions and better ways to do things. Yes, I love that. Pay attention to your feelings. Pay attention. Don't avoid them. Pay attention now. It'll make a difference, I promise. All right. And so as we are leaving for today, I would love to thank Rasathi for showing up. And it's my pleasure. 
giving so much wonderful information on the five love languages, how to apply them to your children, your household, yourself, so that you can calm the chaos, the overwhelm, and avoid burnout. Um, Rasati, what I want you to do now is just tell everybody where they can find you online. Okay. Um, I am most active on Instagram. So if you want to search R-A-S-A-T-H-1, Rasat1 is the name of my brand. So I'm mostly on Instagram, but I'm also on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. I'm on I'm on Spotify, y'all. So you can find my podcast there as well. And then also on Solve. So anywhere you're looking, search R-A-S-A-T-H-1 and you'll be able to find me. All right. So there you heard it. You can find her on Rasat1 online and i'm pretty sure if you type in rasat one she'll definitely show up because that's very you get a pile of results yeah (laughs) very unique so she'll show up and again thank you for joining us today and thank everyone for watching where today we are we talked a little bit of mommyhood we talked a little bit of business and we've been totally unapologetically totally unapologetic and so you've been listening <laughs> to Unapologetically Mommyhood and tune in again next week.